The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Sam Dingman. Sam is a storyteller and producer living in Brooklyn. A few years ago, Sam found himself ready to propose to his girlfriend, despite some differences in how they saw their relationship. He wanted to use a big camping trip to win over her side of the family, but that went about as wrong as it could have gone, leading him to see their relationship differently. Hey, Sam, how's it going? Brian, how are you, man? Doing well. Uh... Yeah, yes, two day, yesterday was the last day of school at the school that I teach at, so oh, man. it's like sort of summer break for me. I still like, kind of have to work a little bit, but it's like, it's summer. That, uh, listen, the academic schedule is very appealing to me at the moment because I am freelancing on 37 different projects. <laughs> <laughs> the whole reason I ended up working at a school was because I was working freelance and it just sucked. It was such a, mm-hmm. like, I liked that freedom. But then I just hated not knowing what my next week was going to look like at any given time. And I mm-hmm. was like, oh, a school seems like a very structured world to work in. And that's why I ended up working at a school. So I understand the struggle of that, uh, that world too. So it, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to, come across as ungrateful. I'm, I'm super no, I know. like appreciative of having the opportunity to do these projects. Um, and it's interesting too, cause like, you know, part of what we're going to talk about today is the, the stakes of making a commitment. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, this story begins at a moment that I admittedly never thought I was going to get to. This is, um, at this point, four years ago, And I was in a relationship at the time that had taken a lot of twists and turns, um, but had arrived at a point at long last where I was feeling ready to propose to my girlfriend. Um, She did not know that I was feeling ready to propose because I had only really just kind of admitted it to myself. Um, But it was very stirring to me. And it was stirring to me because, you know, it's a big deal to reach that level of decision about a romantic relationship. But it was also a big deal because when I tell you this relationship had taken a long and winding road, um, we had known each other since we were in middle school, since we were both 13. Okay. Had both in high school had crushes on each other, but like... She was dating somebody, and I was like, what is dating, actually? I don't really understand (laughs) how this functions. Um, And then after college, I was in a a different, very serious relationship, and uh, she was single, and we would have these kind of, like, tortured visits home where we would, like, stay up really late sitting on a couch at someone's house drinking beer and, like, not talking about what we really wanted to be talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then we had finally gotten together, and after all that, Falderall, and it was really great at first, and then she revealed to me that she um, 
was realizing that she was renegotiating her relationship with her sexuality and that she wanted that to include women. And at the time, I was like, I, I want you to be able to go on that journey, but that uh, does not um, match with what I'm looking for in a partnership. This is a whole different episode we could do sometime, but it was actually the second time that uh, <laughs> a long-term girlfriend had come to me with that information. So I was like, I don't really want to go on this roller coaster again. But then we had taken some time apart. We had realized, oh, we still love each other very much. We had gotten back together and sort of thought we had figured out a way to navigate this whole um, issue of differing sexualities. And the, the way that we had decided to navigate it was um, that we had an open relationship. And I'm not like a... I'm not an open relationship dude. I'm, <laughs> I'm not... I, I have no judgment against anybody who's in an open relationship, but it I, I've just never really thought of myself that way. But I think I had just sort of reached this conclusion that I was like, well, if I want to be in a relationship with this person and it necessitates her being able to date women sometimes. Well, at, you know, whatever that craving is for her is not something I can offer. And it doesn't feel like it would feel if she also wanted to date men. So maybe we could figure this out. Yeah. But um, talk about like not nailing it uh, at things. I was very bad at being poly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't. Like, the thing you kind of mentioned before of, like, this is just not something that I'm, like, into. It's, like, yeah, I don't think I'm, like, opposed to the idea of that kind of world. I just, it's stressful for me. Like, when I would date online, I, like, couldn't go on more than, I couldn't, like, schedule more than one date with a person. Like, if I had, like, yeah. started messaging a person been like, oh, this person seems cool. Like, we should go on a date. But I'm, like, about to go on a date with this other person. And I, like, my brain can't, like, yeah. process these two things at once. Yeah. So the idea of like, yeah, dating two people at once is just, uh, and I feel like maybe in my older age, I could like, I can understand it more now, but like at the age, I like a few years ago, I was like, I can't process yeah. how this works. Well, I don't know if this is something that is similar for us, but for me, I think a big part of the reason it was not a good framework for me is because the end game that I am seeking is like real intimacy with somebody like real um real connection and a sense that when we are together nothing else matters okay yeah um and i think there are a lot of people who would say well isn't it real intimacy to be able to say to your partner um like i also feel attraction for other people that i would would like to act on and i get that that's true for some people that was not the type of intimacy that i was looking for Rather, it felt to me like I can't achieve this state of feeling like the rest of the world falls away when it's you and me together because there are these other humans who we've invited into our connection who, like, I want to be responsible and accountable to, um, and I can't. So if I'm like, it's just me and you, baby, and this other person is texting me, reasonably expecting me to reply... And then I can't, I'm like, my brain is broken. <laughs> yeah, it's that, it's, I think, it, yeah, I think what you're saying is very similar world to what I was kind of trying to uh, encapsulate. It's like, it's very hard for my brain to split up the percentages that I give to people. And I do this like with friendships. It's like very hard to do this too, of yeah. like splitting my time in that kind of way. And I feel like you said this thing earlier when you were kind of summarizing kind of this period 
that you were getting up to when the story starts of how she wanted this thing and you wanted to be with her. So it was like, this is sort of the sacrifice yes. you were making because yes. she was the person you wanted to be with. Exactly. And you've a hundred percent nailed it. Like that's not a reason to be Polly. Like <laughs> uh, one of like the thing that would happen when I would go on dates with women who were not my girlfriend is a couple of things. One is it became clear to me very quickly that like most of them were also Polly and okay. in talking to them, they would describe their sexuality as poly, whereas for me, my circumstance was poly. Yeah, that okay. Sense. That's very interesting, but I totally you know? get it, yeah. Um, and I would think like, oh, we are, there is a difference there. Um, so if intimacy is what we're going for, like, our, what yeah, we're, we're aiming just, for is We're different. going in totally different directions right from the start here. Yeah. And then the other thing that would always happen is I would be sitting across a table from this woman and... For the first 15 minutes, I would have, I, I would always think the same thing. I would be like, this is crazy. You are in a bar with a woman who is not your girlfriend. Your girlfriend knows you're here. <laughs> you are allowed to pursue this partnership as almost as far as you would like it to go, and she would like it to go. That's wild. And then minute 16, I would think, I would much rather be at this bar with my actual partner <laughs> talking ab about how excited I feel, uh, how much more excited I would feel to be with her. You know what? I, like, it would just hit a brick wall. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a very hard place to tr be trying to date other people. Like, a f place to start dating other people is like... Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, for the other person, usually, with being poly being their sexuality, they were, like, the brick wall is what was valuable to them. They were like, oh, there are specific boundaries here. And I yeah. could never get over the feeling of, this is going to, uh, like, this is going to mess everything up. Like, what if I say the wrong thing to this person? What if, all I could think about was, like, how all the ways that it could go like wrong and rules. how much it was. The rules and how much at the end of the day, fundamentally, it wasn't who I wanted to be. Yeah. With your girlfriend, too, is she, are you having these conversations and are you finding that she's having similar things, but she's like wants to keep working in this world? Or is this world just a lot more comfortable for her and you're keep continuing to struggle of like, I don't know how to navigate this world? I My sense is that what was happening for her is that every date that I went on with someone who wasn't her for me felt like a step away from my true self and every date that she went on with a woman felt like a step closer to a version of herself okay. that she had always wanted to be yeah um so date by date we were sort of walking away from each yeah. other to yeah extend that metaphor um and you know <laughs> this is where I tell you Brian that um what we're talking about is that I, my reason for wanting to get married to her was the worst reason to want to get married to somebody, which is I thought it would just fix everything. I thought that if I was like, well, let's just get married, that would somehow reconcile this difference in our sexualities, um, level us up to a form of intimacy that could somehow contain um, all of our desires but not necessitate dating other people. Looking back, it was just an extraordinarily naive perception <laughs> of what that would do. 
was there a part of you that was like, oh, if if we get married, this means that we're enough for each other. Like, or it would prove that we're enough for each other. And then we don't, I don't have to do this thing that I just don't feel comfortable with. Was there a part of you that thought that that would end the, like, polyamory, I guess, in that scenario? Yes. I think I thought that by the by dint of the fact that I had, like, put in a couple of months of time doing this, I would have demonstrated to her, like, see, I am the partner you you really want because I was willing to go through this thing that I didn't really want to do in the name of enabling your exploration. And, yeah. and that also is a dead giveaway of how wrong I was because yeah. <laughs> she, as I would come to find out, was not exploring. Like, as I said before, she was moving towards the version of herself she'd always wanted to be. Like, polyamory for us was opening a door she would eventually run through. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I was just like thinking, oh, we'll open the door, we'll peek at the other side, and we'll be like, that's cool, and then we'll close it again and, you know, hang out at our apartment together. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was, like, certain things that she was probably even not fully aware of at that moment in time, but, like, things that there was, a there was like, a reason in her head that, like, this is the thing that made the two of you work at that moment that was, like, definitely seemed different than the thing that you thought made the two of you work at that moment. Exactly. Exactly. So... But anyway, so you still are at this point, though, where you're like, great, I this is the... Yeah. And I mean, based on everything you said, it feels like the two... Just the fact that uh, you could be around somebody from middle school for that long. Like, it feels like you two do have, like, I know the other things you said early on, too, is, like, looking for an intimacy with somebody. Yeah. And it does really feel like the two of you had this, like, intimacy just by the nature of the amount of years that you have yes. been close to each other in your lives, right? Yes. And we had talked about family stuff with each other that we had never told other people. We had um, just really committed to an emotional transparency with one another that was at the time unlike anything I had ever experienced and that was not obviously not insignificant that was a big part of what made me feel like well come on of course we're meant to be together who else am I ever going to be able to talk like this with and I think I also bought into this fakakta fairy tale idea that like oh we've known each other since we were 13 this has to work out. That ha that's yeah. definitely how this story ends. Um, and I was like, well, okay, so this next, the, the, the end game of the story needs an exciting incident. I'm a propose. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there was another issue um, as I was kind of gaming out the stakes of proposing, which was that my girlfriend at the time um, and her family were uh, what I think of as outside people, uh, people who like to do <laughs> activities outside. Big hikers, big campers, um, big uh, competitive sports players on fields, um, but you can tell that I am not by dint of the fact that I describe them by that just way. Naming, <laughs> just describing. <laughs> um, I am an inside person. I love watching movies. I love going to restaurants. I love talking about movies at restaurants. And I've reached this conclusion that the time has come to propose. And um, uh, she does not know that yet, but she does come to me and she says, listen, uh, my 
fam- immediate family and my extended family are going to uh, have this big family reunion in Connecticut. Um, lots of hiking, lots of fishing. Um, I would love it if you came. So I thought like, all right, you've got to do this. Like if you eventually want this family to be your family also, you got to show up there and you got to make a good impression. And I figured I had an ace in the hole, (laughs) which is that as an inside person, um, something I am very good at is drinking martinis in dark rooms. And her family uh, was populated in part by old wasps. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought there is a good chance that some of them would be interested in sitting in a dark room and drinking martinis with me. That will be my way in. Yeah, this is what I could bring to the outside people. Exactly. That we can bond. People will like to drink even in an outside scenario, and I can get on board exactly. with it. Exactly. Like my contribution was going to be like, hey, I know you guys love the crisp summer air, uh, but have you considered slowly getting bombed and talking about Paul Thomas Anderson? <laughs> just by the fire at night like that's that's the scene i'm seeing right it's like you're just yeah like not moving from the fire and be like who wants to just sit around here and just talk about life like like as if we're recording a podcast or alternately you know starting as early as 1 p.m (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. do we we need to do the hike like you guys go fishing we'll sit here and and we're gonna really figure out uh which extended tracking shot from a paul thomas anderson movie is the most (laughs) impressive one (laughs) So I show up at the reunion, and um, at first it, it, it's going pretty good. There are definitively some old wasps who are interested in martini consumption. Uh, we are hanging out in this this well-appointed basement with some cushions. Uh, but at a certain point, my girlfriend walks in, and she's like, Sam, we were um, going to go uh, climb a mountain. Would you like to come along? <laughs> and she says it in this way where it's like, it's not optional. Like, you will now come along on this, please, because I I want you to spend time with these folks. Yeah, she's pulling you out of what was your comfort zone in this scenario. Exactly. Exactly. And so I'm like, okay. So I drain the martini for, like, some uh, hike fuel. Um, and we embark on this hike. And at first, it... it is fine. Uh, it, it, it's a very leisurely hike. We're sort of winding through this forest and we make it up to the top of this mountain. And it's actually pretty breathtaking. Uh, we're above the tree line. Um, it's late summer, so everything is this bright, verdant, glowing green. And they, being experienced hikers, have day packs in which they have brought some sandwiches. They take out sandwiches. Uh, one or two of them has even brought some some hike beer, so we're sharing that. I'm like, hey, maybe this isn't so bad. Um, but then things take a turn uh, because the, the sky just darkens very suddenly. It has been a bright, sunny day, and all of a sudden, kind of out of nowhere, these like heavy, heavy gray clouds roll in, and it starts to pour down rain. Torrential, like the the most extreme version of rain that you can conjure when you think of the word torrential, just like, like it feels like you just jumped into a pool with every drop. It, it's that heavy. Now, for her family, no problem. These are outside people, <laughs> Brian. 
still, I'm I'm like a half outside person, and this already I'm like, uh, this feels like too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say no problem. It, it's just that they are prepared for this eventuality. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe the fact they they're pulling out like rain gear. I guess right. Yeah, is... they're they're wearing waterproof hiking boots. They are wearing uh, pants that wick away moisture. Um, I believe athleisure is the term. Um, <laughs> I, Brian Berlin, am wearing a dress shirt and a sport coat and a <laughs> pair of nice pants and a pair of dress shoes because I was trying to make a good impression. <laughs> I love how, I mean, just that the the visual is great, but it's very funny how your girlfriend didn't say to you like, Hey, just like we're gonna be like out. Like, do you have a pair of sneakers and like shorts? Like, it's just it's funny how you were like, no, this is the this is what I need to wear up this mountain, right? And nobody said anything. Nobody was like, Sam, maybe uh, you yeah. know, have not a sport coat on when you're hiking a mountain. I think I probably thought that by dressing wrong for the occasion, it would give me an excuse to weasel out of the outing. Um, yeah, you're like, oh, I don't have the right shoes for this. Sorry. Yeah, but they probably thought, ah, it's not going to be that strenuous of a hike. Uh, he'll look stupid, but, well, you know, whatever makes him comfortable. <laughs> so, oh, God. one of her cousins on the hike takes pity on me and pulls out of his day pack a little portable umbrella. So wow. I'm like, great, there's only one way for me to look more ridiculous. Uh, I will, I say thank you very much, and I open the umbrella, and... The rain starts getting heavier, and, and we start moving down the mountain. And I, it's really only been a few steps um, when all of a sudden there's this giant clap of thunder. And I feel, Brian Berlin, this, the sensation was as though the hand of God had reached out of the sky, lifted me six inches in the air, and then thrown me to the ground with intense force. Like, I, I, like I'm spiked like a football on a rock that there is water, sheets of water running down. And as this happens, I look up and I see flashes of white light in my peripheral vision. And then as soon as I hit the rock, I am thrown back into the air. It's like there's an eruption from underneath me. Like you've hit like a trampoline or something. Yes, or a landmine. <laughs> yeah, okay. And all of my vision goes into black and white. And I, I, everybody around me is screaming. And it's one of those things like in a movie. It, it's real when like you've seen that scene in the movie where a character is hit by something and all of the sound gets very distant and then comes rushing back in. And when the sound rushes back in, I'm hearing someone else in our party shouting this phrase at me that I will never forget. And that phrase is, drop the fucking umbrella. <laughs> so I throw the umbrella to the ground and there is smoke coming off the top of the umbrella. Oh, my God. And I realized, Brian Berlin, that I, Sam Dingman, have just been struck by lightning. Oh, my God. And this is confirmed by the woman who is hiking behind me. She's like, you just got struck by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> now. Oh, my God. Brian, when you are an inside person, 
Something that outside people say to you on occasion is, what are you afraid of going outside? You think you're going to get struck by lightning? (laughs) That's a thing people have said to me. So this is one of those moments where I am horrified. I can't believe uh, that this has just happened. Um, I, I, my vision is still in black and white. Um, I look around me, the, there's young children who we're hiking with who are screaming and panicking. And also, we're all now on top of this mountain where more lightning might come down. The rain is getting harder. And I feel even worse because I feel like I called this doom down on top of us. I'm the one who literally raised the lightning rod in the air. I like summoned this punishment. God. And are you, so you like, you mentioned how your ears went and you're like, your vision's a little off, but are you like physically other than that? Are you, I guess at this point it's probably all like adrenaline, right? It's not, you, you don't have a moment, like you're functioning, but you're probably like in shock essentially. Yes. Right? I, like literal shock. For a, there was admittedly a second where I was like, is this the afterlife? It's very similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything's just black and white now, but yeah. the world is the same. And then like, you know, it, it felt like this all unfolded over hours and hours and hours. It was probably eight minutes. Um, but I was like, okay, wait, I'm still alive. I, I'm in a lot of physical pain, but w- we all seem to be okay. Uh, I guess everything's fine. Um, my girlfriend's brother is there. He's an Eagle Scout and he's like, Everybody into this bush, bend over and grab your ankles. So we all Yeah, that's I was gonna ask three three points of contact. That's that's the thing I've learned as a camp counselor. So yeah. this is familiar to you. As it was happening, I was like, okay, I am now a few moments removed from um the wrath of the universe finding its way across the heavens to uh enter my body. I am now bent over grabbing my ankles in the bushes as torrents of rain wash down on me. Like <laughs> what what else is going to happen today? <laughs> so eventually we we get down to the bottom of the mountain. Everybody thankfully is fine. No one is is harmed. I go to the doctor the next day and the doctor says like I I'll be happy to check you out. I, honestly if something was going to happen, it would have happened on impact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's what I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm like, what? Am I gonna like not remember how to do math anymore? Like, or <laughs> if I just gained access to just lost? Yeah, you lost parts of your memory, but yeah, now all of a sudden you know everything. You you've learned French. Yes, exactly. Uh, and she was like, "Nope, um, I think you're fine." Yeah, I guess it's like. Check to make sure my heart is beating the same. And like, I guess other than that, what are you going to, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Was everyone like, were you like the talk of the whole gathering that night? Like, I feel like that is a moment where now everything is about you in this world where you're the outsider. Right. Right. Like, right. Well, uh, that's the thing is like, in a way, this is what I wanted. Right. Was to, to some, to sort of become the focus of this reunion in the sense that I wanted everybody to like me. Um, and instead what's happening is like this poor idiot <laughs> who almost got ver- several members of our family vaporized. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that didn't really work out the way I wanted it to. And then in the, in the, like, the, the, the weeks and months afterwards, I really want this to mean something because 
it's an extraordinarily rare event. This yeah. is not something that happens to people. And, you know, to go back to Paul Thomas Anderson, one of my, my favorite movie of all time is Magnolia. And one of my favorite parts in it is quiz kid Donnie Smith, who has been struck by lightning. And he's in a bar one night and he's hammered and he's, he's lost all sense of meaning in his life. And he says to the other patrons in the bar, I'm, I'm going to slightly butcher the quote, but he says like, have you ever been struck by lightning? It's a bolt of energy that finds its way throughout the entire universe and decides to land in your head and it hurts and it, that is a that is exactly that is that is a correct assessment of the experience of getting struck by lightning. You you want that remarkable moment to amount to something. Yeah, because you're like, there's a chance I could have died, and because I didn't, like something in my life should change because of this. Yes, moment. you want it to be a turning point. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> in my case. Um, not as a direct result from the bolt of lightning, although it is very tempting to say that like in the, you know, the, there was this lightning strike of revelation that polyamory was never going to work. Um, <laughs> it was not that direct. But uh, over time, my, my girlfriend and I realized that these are not reconcilable differences of desire for um, a certain type of sexuality and intimacy. And we split up uh, for good this time. And in the aftermath of this, I'm feeling really, really, really lost. And a couple months have gone by, and I'm at a gathering, and I'm telling the story of, of being struck by lightning. And afterwards, this, this woman comes up to me, and she has this unbelievably intense look in her eyes, and she grabs my arm. And she says, are you a Buddhist? And I say, no. <laughs> what, like, what's about to happen here? <laughs> Should I be? <laughs> so she goes, listen to me very carefully. What happened to you is called a darshan. It's a blessing. It means that you are a holder of light. And then she just like vanishes into a crowd of people <laughs> before I can ask yeah, never see her any follow-up questions. I'm like, was that a lightning-induced hallucination? <laughs> yeah, flat, you get your flat, weird flashbacks yeah. to the event. Is this like acid was... flashbacks, like lightning flashback? <laughs> like what's going on here? But... What a phrase, right? If you are a person who has been craving meaning from this experience and somebody comes up to, to you and says, you are now a holder of light, there it is, right? Silver platter. I'm a holder of light. But I don't really know what that means. <laughs> yeah, you didn't get to ask the like, but okay, so as a holder of light, what does that entail yeah. for my life? Like, what, what should I be doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's gone and you're just like left... Did you like go on Wikipedia and like try to figure out like what do some background info to be like, can I understand what she was saying? Yeah. Well, I, I looked it up to be like, is this real? Like, <laughs> what, what's this Darshan business? Um, but I looked it up and it does mean I found a bunch of sort of, you know, a holder of light means um, somebody with the capacity for, 
you know, to to see the implications of things. And I was like, okay, that also sounds like just like being a thoughtful, empathetic person. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I would like to think you don't have yeah, to I get... need to get struck by lightning yeah. to feel this I, way, to have these feelings. I would prefer that that not, this near-death experience not be a requirement <laughs> for that state of mind. Um, so time goes on, and I start finally, eventually, dating a new person. And all of a sudden, it, it's it's this it's this wonderful realization that those feelings of intimacy and connection that I thought were only going to be possible with my ex, it's infinitely better in this new partnership. And it's even more exciting because I didn't realize it at, in the previous partnership, but there was a way in which we were sort of coasting on the fact that we had just known each other for a long time. And we had a lot of shared associations and formative experiences. And I think that led to a false sense in some areas of being on the same page about stuff when actually it was just, you know, we were two different soups that that shared a bay leaf. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, whereas this is somebody who I met organically through my own um, creative circles in New York. Uh, it was somebody whose work I already admired. Circumstances brought us together unexpectedly. And it was just like instantaneous, this sense that when we were together it felt like the rest of the world fell away. And then, <laughs> because uh, dramatic irony uh, seems hell-bent on pursuing me at this stage of my existence, the rest of the world literally did fall away um, because um, a little thing called the COVID-19 pandemic broke out. Um, and we all of a sudden found ourselves in quarantine together. And we had only been together for a couple of months when this happened. Um, and we were very fortunate in that she had some family friends who had a, a small house on a mountain in upstate New York um, where we were able to take shelter and, and be apart from um, others. And I was feeling really good about the intimacy that we had, had found with each other. But there was a part of me that was like, we're going into nature. <laughs> when I go into nature, <laughs> catastrophes happen and my relationships fall apart. Um, and so I kind of became obsessed with this idea that I had to do everything possible to keep things afloat. Um, and that I, that I had to call upon this extraordinary reserve uh it within myself to like find ways of of making like walling off the possibility um of everything going sideways when this inevitable doom thing happened and so the the solution that i came up with one of them was to embark on this really intense jogging program um <laughs> and ev almost every day i would l put on my running shoes and i would walk 
out of this house uh, to this road on top of this mountain, and I would just run and run and run and run. And I would do this loop over and over and over again, back and forth, back and forth on the road. Because I thought, well, um, if I just keep myself in really great shape, um, you know, that'll be a bulwark against uh, whatever horrors the, the, the natural world is, is preparing for me. Yeah, like at the very least, I guess you have like the right shoes for it this time. (laughs) (laughs) I had never thought of that. (laughs) Apparently, that's the one lesson I learned (laughs) is bring some outside shoes. (laughs) So one day I'm running on the road. And it was a bright, sunny day uh, when I started to lace up my shoes But then as I'm running, the clouds darken and it starts to rain and the rain starts to get really torrential. And then now I'm thinking of, uh, instead of Paul Thomas Anderson, now I'm thinking of uh, uh, the giant in Twin Peaks, like going like, it is happening again. And I'm like, you're, no, you're going to be fine. You have to do this run. You're a holder of light. That probably means you're invincible. <laughs> like, just keep, just stay out here. Just stay out here. And so then lightning really does start to streak across the sky. And I'm, um, I'm on the road and, and there's standing water on the road. And I can see that the lightning is like getting closer to the spot where I am. But for some reason, I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I, I can't. I can't give in to this. This is a test. Uh, I, I have to prove that I'm like worthy of this challenge. And I'm getting wetter and wetter and wetter. And I have Bluetooth headphones on. And uh, I'm listening to this like weird experimental Miles Davis jazz. And the water is like fucking with the speakers and the headphones. So the music is starting to be like. So there's like static in my brain. And as this is all happening, I look ahead and I see these headlights on the road. And they're getting closer and closer and closer to me. And I'm running and I'm like running towards the headlights. And as I get closer, I'm like, is that, is that my car? Uh, What's going on? And then the car stops next to me and the window rolls down and it's Adrian, my new girlfriend. (laughs) And she looks at me and she's like, honey, Come inside. (laughs) And there was something for me about those three words that just made me feel so seen. Like, you don't have to do all this. Come inside and and be safe. (laughs) Come to the place. Yeah, like, come to the place you belong, right? Exactly. Exactly. Like, and, and come inside, like, with me. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, did she save my life? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it seemed a little hairy there. It's possible. <laughs> but in the aftermath of that experience, I, I, I started thinking about this holder of light idea. And... I thought, like, I think what being, I, I think the way that 
the proper way to understand both the lightning strike experience and being told that you're a holder of light is this, which is getting struck by lightning and thereby becoming a holder of light. It doesn't make you special. Everybody is a holder of light. We all have light inside of us. What's special is allowing your light to be seen by somebody else and finding somebody who can recognize it. And so that's where I've gotten to with my, my lightning strike experience. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's a nice, a nice place. A- again, like say, seeing like, oh, a lightning strike has to mean something, mm-hmm. right? And trying to find meaning. It's not, a bad, it's not a bad meaning to pull from it at the end of the day. And it feels like if you couldn't end up with that woman who found your light initially, you it seems like you've ended up in a pretty good in a pretty good place. Oh, today. yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> um things are really good. <laughs> and when I say things are really good, I really mean they are, not I'm doing everything in my power every day to pretend that th- they can one day be good. Yeah, no, that's a very that's a lesson that I have learned over the years, too, is like the idea of making something good, trying to make something good versus something just being good. You know, this is something that I talk about with my brother a lot. We talk about relationships and this idea that both of us had, formula- had formulated at various points in our lives that like, oh, well, a relationship is supposed to be hard because that's how you know it's significant. Um, and... The thing we always arrive at is this idea that it, it, it's a relationship probably shouldn't be hard, but that doesn't mean it should be easy. I think what it means is that at its core, it should be simple, um, which is to say you don't have to step outside of your true self in order to find a framework that works for you to be able to be in a partnership with somebody. It just, it's, it's just that the world falls away when you're, when you're around them. At least that's, that's what I've, that's what I've got so far at age 40. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good, I mean, not a bad place to be at, at, at this stage of your life. Um, And yeah, thanks so much for sharing all this, Sam. I loved it. Thank you for thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, if people, I know you, as you said earlier, you you have a lot of stuff you're making all the time. If people like want to find out more about what you do or stuff you make, like where can they go to find that? I would ask them to check out two audio projects of which I am very proud. One is called Family Ghosts, uh, which is a podcast I've been doing for many years, and on every episode, somebody tells a story that's been in their family for a long time that they feel haunted by. Not necessarily a supernatural ghost story, just a kind of unresolved mystery from their family's past. Um, and then they work with me and a team of producers to try to uh, do some journalistic reporting slash detective work about their own families and um, resolve this unfinished narrative and come to a reckoning about why this story feels so alive in them. And then last year I had the opportunity to do a show called The Rumor, um, which is an investigation into another seemingly trivial um, mystery. This one, um, the the rumor that's been going around the city of Baltimore for a long time that um, Cal Ripken and Kevin Costner got into a fist fight that led to a faked power outage 
Um, and my friend Mac and I, after more than 20 years, investigate this rumor to try to figure out if, in fact, it is true and come to some surprising conclusions. Um, and I, I'm very passionate and proud of uh, both of those projects and would love for people to check them out. Yeah, I've listened to both of them and both are great. And I would also, yeah, echo your sentiment as somebody who hasn't made them and <laughs> listens to them. I enjoy them and people should check them out. Thanks, man. Thank uh, you. Yeah, thank you again so much for sharing. Cheers. This is how we love. This is how we fight for something that's right. Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Twitter and Instagram at LoveHurtsPod, and our website is LoveHurtsPod.com. I'm Brian Berlin, and this is Love Hurts. Love Hurts.